a bus stop, a playground, an office building. These were some of the targets hit by Russian missile and drone strikes in Ukraine in the span of one morning this week. More than a dozen cities were hit, many of them hundreds of miles from the front lines. The attacks seemed to communicate a message. No one is safe. 81-year-old Viktor Shevchenko was watering plants on his balcony in Dnipro Monday morning. It was a sunroom, completely enclosed by glass. A few minutes after he went inside to cook breakfast, a strike hit just outside his apartment. The force from the blast nearly knocked him over. His kitchen cabinets blew open. The windows on his balcony shattered inward. A few minutes earlier, he kept repeating. A few minutes earlier, and he would have been out there, on the balcony, in that explosion of glass. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky posted a video on the messaging app Telegram shortly after the attacks. We are dealing with terrorists, he said. They are trying to wipe us off the face of the earth. These strikes came just days after an attack on a key bridge that links Russia to Crimea, a part of Ukraine that Russia illegally annexed in 2014. Ukraine has not publicly claimed responsibility for that attack, but Russian President Vladimir Putin blamed Ukrainian special services. It is simply impossible to leave crimes of this kind unanswered, Putin said, in an address to his Security Council. He called Monday morning's wave of attacks a massive, high-precision strike on infrastructure, military command, and communications in Ukraine. Though, again, civilians and civilian infrastructure seem to have been the major targets. Olha Shmoilo in Kyiv says she is exhausted by this war. From the one hand, uh, we are like kind of get used to it, but from the other hand, uh, I don't know. Of course, I'm angry, but I want uh, this to be over as soon as possible. Consider this. As Russia runs up a string of defeats on the battlefield, its missiles and rockets are still claiming civilian lives. We'll hear about one of them, an 11-year-old girl named Nasta. From NPR, I'm Mary Louise Kelly. It's Tuesday, October 11th. It's Consider This from NPR. Putin, as we mentioned, said this week's airstrikes are retaliation for an attack on the Kerch Strait Bridge on Saturday. It was the day after his 70th birthday. Andrew Weiss, a Russia expert with the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, says that bridge means a lot to Putin. That bridge was both a symbolic gesture to connect Mother Russia to Crimea, which was seized from and illegally annexed in 2014 from, from Ukraine. But right now, the Russians are in need of good military infrastructure and supply and logistics routes. And that bridge was a key part of the plan. Russia says the bridge is still navigable. But Weiss says this is the sort of attack that U.S. officials have worried could trigger a cycle of escalation. For the Russians, what they have at their disposal right now is the ability to escalate the war, either by attacking uh, civilian infrastructure, critical infrastructure like dams or power plants, and to make life absolutely miserable for civilians who are in Ukraine today. Throughout the war, when Russian troops have not been able to reach Ukrainian cities, their missiles and rockets and artillery have 
Thousands of Ukrainian civilians have been killed. NPR's Jason Bobian has the story of one of them. It was a Saturday afternoon. There was a buzz of excitement across much of the Kharkiv region. Ukrainian troops had just staged a major counteroffensive, and the relentless Russian shelling around the city of Kharkiv had finally eased. 11-year-old Nasta Gritsenko and her parents, Andriy and Irina, had decided to spend the weekend at what they called their country house in the nearby city of Chihuiv. Nasta's parents went out to deliver some humanitarian food packets to elderly residents when three large explosions rocked the city. A neighbor, Mikhailo Kantamirov, shows where he found Nasta after the missile struck. This is the fragment of the missile. He says she was still alive, still conscious, lying next to the crater where the house had once stood. And she asked uh, why uh, this happened to me. I did anything bad to them. Her parents heard the explosions. They could see the smoke. Irina Kretsenko's first thought was Nasta, and she raced towards their cottage. Every day, local officials in Ukraine announce grim statistics about the war. This number of people were injured. That number of people died. According to the UN, roughly 6,000 civilians have been killed in Ukraine over the last seven months of war. Nasta's father, Andrei Gritsenko, is adamant that his 11-year-old daughter shouldn't be a statistic. A statistic isn't something you pick up from the loading dock of the morgue, as Andre and Irina were forced to one cold, wet September morning. Nasta's body is carried down from the loading dock in a pink, satin-lined coffin and slid into the back of a white cargo van. As my translator, Polina Litvinova, and I are getting into our own car, she tells me that I'm lucky I couldn't understand Irina crying in Russian. Uh, I could hear her saying, uh, forgive me. As hard as the scene at the morgue was to watch, she says listening to a mother sobbing over her daughter's body was even harder. She said, like, I don't want to live without you. Who will meet me when I come home from work? And so and so on. She cried and said, forgive me, forgive me, please. Outside a Soviet-era apartment block, there's a viewing of Nasta's open casket. Neighbors place bouquets of flowers on her coffin. A girl who appears to be about Nasta's age, 10 or 11 years old, cries inconsolably. <laughs> Valentina Ovcherenko, who lives in a flat two floors below Nasta's family, is passing out small bags of sweets. She says people in the neighborhood have been crying for days over Nasta's death. But she says it's been the worst for Nasta's mother. Her mother, Ira, wanted to jump from the balcony and, like, it was, uh, she was rescued from this. Nasta's parents both work for a clothing manufacturing company. Their apartment isn't fancy. Their cottage in Chihuiv, with its apple trees and a vegetable garden, was also a simple, unassuming house before it was obliterated. It wasn't on a prime piece of land. It backed up against an oil storage depot. The same barrage of Russian missiles that killed Nasta blew up several large fuel tanks. Like most kids in Ukraine, Nasta had been attending online classes. Sitting on benches in the playground outside their apartment block, Nasta's parents tell me Nasta had always wanted a dog. This year, her 23-year-old brother found a white Labrador for her, which she was enchanted by. Nasta liked to sing and to watch patriotic videos on YouTube of Ukrainian soldiers. 
з роботи приходжу, мама, погляню. Як вони тут танцюють? Every time I came back home uh, from work, she uh, showed me videos and she said, Mom, look at them, they have so much fun. Um, she really believed that they would protect her. Irina stares into the distance as she talks about her daughter. Kharkiv is just 30 miles from the Russian border. It's a predominantly Russian-speaking part of Ukraine, and it had close ties to Russia before the war. Irina and Andrei go back and forth between speaking Russian and Ukrainian as they talk about their daughter being killed by a Russian missile launched from Russian territory. You know, I believe that not all people in Russia are so cruel uh, and horrible like uh, like Russian soldiers, but I just want to the war to stop. Nasta's funeral takes place under a cold, drizzling rain at a sprawling graveyard named Cemetery 18 in Kharkiv. Just a few hundred yards from her grave, a funeral is also taking place for a soldier in a quadrant of the cemetery adorned with yellow and blue Ukrainian flags. After the nails are pounded into Nasta's coffin and she's buried in the ground, Andrei comes over to me and Polina. Tell the world what the Russians did to my daughter, he says. Irina can barely walk. Her sister eases her into a car as they leave. A few days after the funeral, Irina says she's still trying to come to grips with the fact that there's a person in Russia who pushed the button that launched the missile that killed her daughter. I don't uh, wish them death because I never wish anyone death, but I wish them uh, to suffer like we suffer and to feel all our pain like uh, we feel uh, this pain. Losing a child, she says, is the worst pain in the world. In PR's Jason Bobian in Kharkiv, Ukraine. It's Consider This from NPR. I'm Mary Louise Kelly.